We're going to be in Revelation chapter 6 tonight. Revelation chapter 6. We'll read a couple of verses together and have prayer and then we'll um, go to a few other passages tonight. And if you found that, let's stand together, please. If you're able to stand, we're going to read verses 1 and 2. Revelation 6, verse 1. And I saw, John writes, when the Lamb opened one of the seals and I heard... As it were the noise of thunder, one of the four beasts saying, Come and see. And I saw, and behold, a white horse, and he that sat on him had a bow, and a crown was given unto him, and he went forth conquering and to conquer. John is recording what he saw in heaven in this, the book of the Revelation, we'll kind of give a little back story here in a moment. But what he saw was the lamb opening this the seal, one of the seals, one of the seven seals. And, and then he heard this, this beast, one of the beasts, say to him, come and see. And when he went and looked, he saw this white horse and one sitting on the horse. And uh, so we're going to look into this together tonight. All right, let's pray. Father, please bless tonight again as we've asked already numerous times, blessed as we study. Lord, help us to get from your word what you have for us. Feed the sheep. And Lord, I pray that if there be those here who are not saved, that the Spirit of God would work in their heart and bring awareness and conviction of sin, but also the truth of the grace and the mercy of God and salvation that freely is given to all who will come to Christ. We pray for you to work in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. This really begins um, the, this horrific period of judgment. And as we talked about Sunday night, the outpouring of God's wrath. Just saying that to me uh, is a, a very... A sobering thing, the outpouring of God's wrath. We call it the tribulation period. And the latter part of the tribulation period, sometimes referred to as the great tribulation. And if you're, you still have your Bible open there in Revelation 6, look at the last verse in that chapter. And the chapter ends with these words, For the great day of his wrath is come. And who shall be able to stand? It's been it's been long time coming, this great day of God's wrath. But but John said it's come. It's here. This is the great day of His wrath. And who shall be able to stand? Tonight we're going to talk a little bit about the Antichrist because you know the Antichrist is really one of the key players in that tribulation period. And so I want us to just kind of look at some background. Uh, first of all, in the book of Revelation, and then in, we'll, we'll go to other passages. But just, just kind of review. Turn back to Revelation chapter 1. And we're just going to quickly make note of things. I, I think it's good to get our minds uh, sort of focused on where we are in the Scripture. The first chapter of Revelation 
is an introduction really of, of the, the revelation of Jesus to, to John, uh, John the Beloved. John the Beloved was exiled on the Isle of Patmos, um, banished for the gospel's sake. Uh, tradition says they tried to kill him and were unsuccessful. Um, and then they got rid of him. They just sent him out on this island to, to die. Well, while he was there, he says in chapter 1, I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day. And he heard this voice, and Jesus begins to re reveal himself. You know, you can banish a man, try to get rid of him, but you can't get him away from Jesus. And so um, that's chapter 1. Chapter 2 and 3 are the specific instructions and revelation given to the pastors of, of seven literal churches, the church at uh, Ephesus and Pergamos and Thyatira and Philadelphia and Laodicea, these seven churches. So that, that's, that's something. These were churches that John, who's getting this revelation, John was familiar with, literal churches uh, in Asia. And that brings us to uh, chapter 4 and 5. In chapter 4, the, the, the whole uh, the whole tenor of the book changes because now it's not talking to the churches that existed in chapter three and uh, 2 and 3, but now he shifts to heaven. In verse 1 of chapter 4, after this, John says, I looked and behold, a door was opened in heaven. And the first voice which I heard was as it were of a trumpet talking with me, which said, come up hither. And I will show thee things which must be hereafter. So beginning here, John's talking about things that are not in the present, not in the first century, but in the future. And so now the scene changes to heaven. And the saints are in heaven at this time. It's clear in chapter 4. And the focus in chapter 4 is, is the throne of God. Verse 2, uh, he saw uh, this throne set in heaven. Chapter 4 and verse 2. Uh, he mentions the throne in verse 4. He mentions the throne in verse 5 twice. Verse 6, he mentions the throne three times. Verse 9, he mentions the throne. Verse 10, he mentions the throne two times. So obviously the emphasis of this is the throne of God. They're in heaven. The saints are there with them. In chapter 5, John saw something that was very troubling to him. It says in verse 1, he saw in the right hand of him that sat on the throne a book written within and on the backside sealed with seven seals. He saw this, the Bible calls it a book. The books then were like scrolls. And he saw this uh, book that was written and it had seven seals around it. Seven uh, different seals. In verse 2, he saw this angel that's that's asking this question with a loud voice. Who's worthy to open the book and loosen the seals Thereof, And really the entire chapter 5 has to do with that subject, this book with seals, and, and who could open this book? And it troubled John. In verse 4 he says, I wept much, because no man was found worthy to open and read the book, neither to look thereon. But verse 5, one of the elders said, stop crying, <laughs> weep not. Behold, the line of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, hath prevailed to open the book. And to loose the seven seals thereof. And in verse 6 he says, In the midst of the throne and the four beasts, in the midst of the elders, stood a lamb as it had been slain. And of course, that's Jesus. And the rest of the chapter there is, is just praising the Lord. 
So that's so. So that has kind of a, a, an overview of where we have in the first five chapters of Revelation, and then chapter six is there's another transition, and now it's going to go back to earth. Went from went from the churches up to heaven, back down to earth. In verse one of chapter six, we read it. I saw when the Lamb opened one of the seals. So this really begins this time of judgment. The Lamb opens one of the seals, and I heard, as it were, the noise of thunder. It said, come and see. And he saw, John saw, and behold, a white horse. He that sat on him had a bow, and a crown was given to him, and he went forth conquering and to conquer. Now, that's not in heaven. That's down upon the earth. This is the beginning of the tribulation period. A lot of changes, dramatic changes are, have, are taking place on earth. We can't even imagine because we, we can't visualize, we can't imagine what it's like when all the saints are taken from the earth and it's left to the, for the wicked to have their way. And now this, this person on a white horse is coming down. The question that we want to think about for a moment is who, who was that that John saw riding on the white horse? You know, if you were to take a, um, this is one of those subjects, that if you were to take eight or ten commentaries and read those commentaries on who this was, you'd find a variety of different answers. Many people believe that that's, matter of fact, the first four or five commentaries I read about it, people believe that Jesus was on this white horse. And, and the reason, they, you understand why they would say that, because if you look further in Revelation 19, look there with me just to one verse, if you would. Here's another white horse. Revelation 19, 11, and I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse, and he that sat upon him. That's the same language of verse 6, I behold a white horse, and he that sat on him. But verse 11 says, he that sat on him was called faithful and true. We know that's Jesus, and in righteousness he did the judge and make war. He came to judge and to make war. But in Revelation 6, I'm convinced that that's not Jesus on this horse. Um, for one thing, back we're looking at Revelation 6, when this, when this Revelation 6 is given to John, Jesus is in heaven loosing the seals. Verse 1 it says, I saw the Lamb open one of the seals. And Jesus is in heaven when he opens the seals. Verse 3 it says, when he opened, verse 3, and he opened the second seal. And then he, John saw, saw and said something else. In verse 7, just go, verse 5, when he opened the third seal. Verse 7, when he opened the fourth seal. So one number one, Jesus is in heaven loosing the seals. He's not on the horse on earth. The, the second reason I, that I don't believe it's Jesus is because it's the beginning of the outpouring of wrath, the tribulation period. So I believe this white horse, this rider on this white horse in verse 2 is actually the Antichrist. The Antichrist is a counterfeit to Jesus. And he, he, he's riding a white horse. That's what Jesus will do. That's what he's doing. Uh, the, the, we'll see in a moment. He demands worship. The, the Antichrist does. He's a counterfeit for Jesus. Uh, by the way, Satan has always wanted to replace God. I mean, that's, that was the very thing when Lucifer was banished uh, from heaven... Um, he, he wanted to be like God. He, wanted the he was jealous of the worship. Like, like Jesus, later on, 
this uh, counterfeit will visit the temple and there he'll demand to be worshipped. He's a counterfeit. And, and so I believe that he's riding this white horse and this begins, this really is the introduction to his reign. Every seal, we're not going to spend time on all of these, I wouldn't even mention but one tonight, but uh, every seal releases more of God's wrath. The second seal, a certain kind of wrath. The third seal, another kind of wrath. The fourth seal, another kind of wrath. And so this first seal... It's just, tip, it just, to me, it all fits, that this is, this is a part of the outpouring of God's wrath. And, and what is going to happen as a result of the first seal, if you look in verse 2, And I saw and behold a white horse, and he that sat on him was, had a, a bow, and a crown was given unto him, and he went forth conquering and to conquer. So, the, so that's important to notice, because every seal is going is to release more of this judgment and wrath upon planet earth so what is the first seal he went forth to conquer uh, conquering and to conquer he went forth really to control now just just an interesting thing we think about all this wrath that's about to be poured out upon the earth and it's really uh, it's really an amazing thing to consider But the only way Antichrist is able to conquer and control is because Jesus allows him to. I mean, he never could do this until he removed the seal. And that's the way it is. He only has as much control as Jesus lets him have, as God lets him have. And that's why I'm very encouraged by that because the, the Antichrist is not king. Jesus is king. And, what, and, and it's, it's always this way. What God is going to use the devil to do is to carry out God's will of pouring out his wrath upon a Christ-rejecting world. So this is the Antichrist. And so tonight I just want to think about his, his rise, uh, the rise of the Antichrist. And I want to, I want to look at some passages tonight. Uh, first of all, in the book of Daniel. And we're going to come back here to Revelation, so you might mark that place. But we're going to spend a little time in Daniel. Not a lot of time, but Daniel wrote in several places about the Antichrist. Many, of course, many hundreds of years, several hundred years before Jesus was even born, and obviously now thousands of years since then, a couple of thousand years. And so the point is, God showed Daniel some very interesting things. And in chapter 7 of Daniel, and it's also in chapter 2, this image that God gave to Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, that's a part of the revelation of, of the coming kingdom. And But it'll, let's look in Daniel chapter 7. And in verse 1 it says, In the first year of Belshazzar, king of Babylon, Daniel had a dream... Daniel 7, 1, Daniel had a dream and visions of his head upon his bed that he, then he wrote the dream and told the sum of the matters. So he's going to write down and tell his, this vision uh, that he has. In verse 2, he mentions it. In verse 3, he says, and four great beasts came up from the sea, diverse from one another, and they had images. One was like a lion and 
and the second one like a bear. And those, and those four beasts that he saw, um, look down in verse 17 of that same chapter, Daniel 7, 17. These great beasts, which are four, are four kings, which shall rise out of the earth. And he talked about these four kingdoms. And he, and, and he did the same thing in, Revel, in uh, Daniel chapter 2. The Babylonian Empire, which was Nebuchadnezzar, and then the Medo-Persian Empire, which followed that. Uh, and then the, uh, the Greek Empire, Alexander the Great. And then the fourth empire he talked about was the Roman Empire. And so it's the last one that Daniel writes about in chapter 7, the fourth beast. So look in verse 18 of Daniel 7. But the saints of the Most High shall take the kingdom. After these four kingdoms are done, the saints will take the kingdom and possess the kingdom forever. That's the last kingdom, even forever and ever. And Jesus will be the king of that kingdom. But look with me, if you would please, in verse 19. Then I would know the truth of the fourth beast. That's the one that was, uh, he had a special interest in, which was diverse from all the others, exceeding dreadful whose teeth were as of iron and his nails of brass, which devoured, breaking pieces, and stamped the residue with his feet. And of the ten horns that were in his head, now those ten horns are talked about over earlier in chapter 7, the ten horns that were in his head, and of the other which came up, there was ten horns, another horn came up, and before whom three of those, three, three fell, even of that horn that had eyes, and a mouth that spake very great things, whose look was more stout than his fellows. He's describing the Antichrist. I beheld in the same horn made war with the saints and prevailed against them until the Ancient of Days came. And that would be the reign of the Antichrist until the Ancient of Days came and judgment was given to the saints of the Most High. And the time came that they... Saints possess the kingdom. Thus he said, The fourth beast shall be the fourth kingdom upon earth, which shall be diverse from all kingdoms, and shall devour the whole earth. Now this is a very interesting thing. That fourth beast, which is talking about the, the reign of the Antichrist, shall devour the whole earth, and shall tread it down and break it in pieces. And the ten horns... Out of this kingdom are ten kings that shall arise. We'll see this in a moment, but these very words are used in Revelation to describe how the, how the Antichrist rose to power, being in this group of, group of kings. The ten horns out of this kingdom are ten kings that shall arise, and another shall rise after them, and he shall be diverse from the first, and he shall subdue Three kings, and he shall speak great words against the Most High, blasphemous, and shall wear out the saints of the Most High, and think to change times and laws. And they shall be given into his hand until a time and times and the dividing of time. And that's a very, very uh, sort of complicated way of saying three and a half. Time, singular, times, that's two, two and one's three and a half, that's three and a half years. We see that three and a half years many times in, in the Bible. So here's this, Daniel talked about this great king. Now turn a page or two to Daniel chapter 9. This is a passage that we looked at some weeks ago when we talked about these 70 weeks of Daniel. But in Daniel chapter 9, I just want to get right into the middle of where it talks about, again, 
the Antichrist. And look with you, if you would, please, in verse 26. It says, after three score and two weeks, after 62 um, weeks, shall Messiah be cut off, but not for himself. So that's talking about when Jesus will be crucified. After three score and two weeks shall Messiah be cut off, but not for himself. And the people of the prince that shall come. So just think about the language. The people of the prince that shall come. And the prince that shall come is the Antichrist. The people of the prince would be the Roman, Roman Empire. And so it says here, not, Messiah will be cut off, but not for himself. Jesus won't die because of his own sin, but because of the sins of others, not for himself. And the people of the prince that shall come shall destroy the city and the sanctuary. They did. The Romans just did that in 70 AD. I mean, all this is a matter of history. And the end thereof shall be with the flood, and to the end of the war, war desolations are determined. Verse 27, and he, that's talking about the prince, Talking about the Antichrist. And he shall confirm the covenant, talking about with Israel, with many for one week. For one week, a week of years, seven years, the covenant. He shall confirm the covenant with many for one week. And in the midst of the week, halfway in the midst of the week, three and a half years into the week, he shall cause the sacrifice and the oblation to cease. We'll talk about that more later. And for the overspreading of abominations, he shall make it desolate. He's going to desecrate. The temple. He will actually sit on the in the temple of God until even until the consummation and that determined shall be poured upon the desolate. So here again we see Daniel talking about this prince who will come up, just put those two things together, who come up of a part of a of a confederation of kings, ten kings, and he will be the latter latter comer into the king into this confederation, but he's going to rise to prominence, put down three others, and he, was, he will confirm the covenant with Israel for, for a, it'll be a seven-year, one-week, seven-year uh, peace agreement that he will make with Israel. Now, obviously, none of this has happened yet, but we know what's going to happen. By the way, when we see our government and, and other governments negotiating these peace agreements with Israel, every time we see that, it makes us think about this. This is all going to happen. This is all a part of the plan. And... In the midst of that week, though, so he, the Antichrist, is going to make a peace agreement for, for seven years. And in the midst of that, he's going to break, he's going to desecrate the temple, go into the temple and, that hasn't yet been built, go into the temple, declare that he is God, and demand the worship of people. And that's the abomination of desolation. He desecrates the temple. And that's how he's going to come to power uh, he will come to power before that. So this leader, this is important to think about, this leader, the Antichrist, we don't know who it is. People have speculated a lot about who it might be, but we don't know who it is. But he will emerge, we know this, from a confederation of ten kings. And these kings, we know, are made up according to what Daniel said, of nations that were formerly a part of the Roman Empire, which we automatically just think of the European Union when we think about that, because the EU 
though it's 20-something nations now, 27, 28 nations, I'm not sure. But they are made up of many of those countries that were in the old Roman Empire. By the way, the European Union, if, if you were to name, if you were to list the, the five or six strongest nations in the world, the U.S. is still the strongest, and then Russia and China. And then when you get to others, you're talking about places like uh, Germany and uh, Italy and the United Kingdom. And all those are a part of that EU. So we're a superpower ourselves. U.S. is a uh, superpower and Russia and China are superpowers. But when you take the European Union, all those together, their economy, their strength is really comparable to ours even now. And one of the things that people, I, I don't know if you ever think about this, but I know a number, I know people here have thought about this because we've talked about it. Because we, we look at our world today and we're wondering how could any, how could any power over there be more power, powerful than we are? I'm not sure exactly how that's going to happen, but it's going to happen. We know it's going to happen. Because the United States is not a player in this scenario that we're reading right here before us. And I'm not being anti-American. I'm just being pro-Bible. And so something's going to happen. The European Union is getting stronger and stronger. And um, this Antichrist is going to come up through that. Be a part of that confederation. And we'll come back to Revelation here in a moment. But... It's clear that when he starts, he's, he's not like a ruthless dictator. He's not like a tyrant. He's like a diplomat. He's like a politician. He is a, he is a unifier. He promotes peace. And he's going to be the leader of one of those nations. And he's going to be a powerful communicator. That's mentioned several times in the Bible. But he's going to gradually raise to more power and become a world leader. And let's go to Revelation chapter 13 just to see... His power. Revelation chapter 13. And we're fast forwarding a little bit, but this just this is worth looking at. Verse 1. John says, And I stood upon the sand of the sea and saw a beast rise up out of the sea. That's what Daniel said. These beasts come up out of the sea. Having seven heads and ten horns, and upon his horns ten crowns, and upon his heads the name of blasphemy. And the beast which I saw was likened to a leopard, and his feet were as the feet of a bear, and his mouth as the mouth of a lion. And the dragon, we know who the dragon is, gave him his power and his seed and great authority. And I saw one of his heads as it were wounded to death. And his deadly wound was healed. And all the world wondered after the beast. Now when it says all the world wondered after the beast, that means all the world. So this, is, this person, the Antichrist, will be observed and looked at with awe by the whole world. Verse 4 says, And they worshipped the dragon which gave power unto the beast, and they worshipped the beast, saying, Who is like unto the beast? 
who is able to make war with him? And there was given unto him a mouth speaking great things and blasphemies. And power was given unto him to continue, there it is again, forty and two months. And he opened his mouth in blasphemy against God to blaspheme his name and his tabernacle and them that dwell in heaven. And it was given unto him to make war with the saints and to overcome them. And power was given him over all kindreds and tongues and nations. We're talking about a worldwide government, a, a, a dictatorship, a totalitarian regime headed up by the Antichrist, worldwide, not just a regional, not just a country, not just a, not just a continent, but worldwide. And look in verse 8. And all that dwell upon the earth shall worship him whose names are not written in the book of life of the Lamb slain from the foundation of the world. Now there will be people that get saved during the tribulation period and they won't worship him, but basically everyone else in the world is going to worship this Antichrist. And he governs the whole world. So go back to Revelation 6 where we began. Because this, this part of Revelation 6, 1 and 2, and I just want to spend time really kind of wrapping our minds around the person of the Antichrist. We'll see more in a couple of other lessons in the future. But this is the first phase of his reign. And let's just read it again. It's worth reading. Um, verse 2, And I saw, we're in Revelation 6, 2, And I saw, and behold, a white horse, and he that sat on him had a bow, and a crown was given unto him. And he went forth conquering and to conquer. Now he's not, I think, I think the language there is, is very important. He didn't, go, he didn't go forth immediately to destroy. He went forth to control. To conquer, to conquering and to conquer. And that'll be the first phase of his activity is to gain control of the world. Now, once he gets control, especially after three and a half years, you know, he it's going to get really super ugly. But um, he's not seeking here to destroy. He wants to get the respect. He wants to get the attention. He wants to eventually get the worship of the entire world. And I think he'll be welcomed as a man of peace. Now, let's, let's just think tonight as we start to wrap this up of how he gets this control. How does he, how will this one person get such, try to visualize that. Try to imagine a person who basically gets the influence, gets the control, gets the power to control the entire world. And I want to mention a couple of things. Number one, he does it through deception. Because, you know, we talked up in the other night in 2 Thessalonians about how God will send them strong delusion that they'll believe a lie. And the blindness of people will cause them to follow this world leader. 
because they're deceived. You know what, what, you know what the word deceive means? It means to cause a person to believe a lie. That's what it is to be deceived. And people are going to believe, people are going to believe him. By the way, we have seen just in our lifetime how easy it is for sometimes for people to get on board with someone and you think, how do they follow that person? How do they, how can they be on board with that? And deception is a powerful thing. When a person is deceived, he believes that a lie is the truth. That's why it's so dangerous to learn something wrong the first time. Because when you learn it wrong the first time, it's hard to unlearn what the wrong that you learn and replace it with the right. So deception is what he's... And he's going to be a, so what is he going to be? He's going to be a false Christ. He, he's, a, he's an imposter. He's a counterfeit. The, and, this, and that's why I really wanted to focus on this verse here in Revelation 6 and 2 is because that's what we see him. He's a false Christ riding a white horse and coming and, 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 and bringing peace, bringing, bringing unifi, unification, um, and I'm not going to turn to it tonight, but uh, we may look at it next time. In, Rev, in, in Matthew chapter 24, when Jesus was asked about what is the sign of your coming in the end of the time, Jesus listed a number of things. And the first thing he listed was this, this matter of deception. He said, many will come in my name saying, I am Christ and shall deceive many. The very first thing he mentioned was not wars and rumors of wars. It wasn't earthquakes. It wasn't famines. The first thing he mentioned was deception. And I think even looking at it objectively, looking at our world through the lens of being objective, we see how powerful deception is in our world today. So much deception about so many things. And I believe it's just going to continue to get worse. That doesn't mean people can't be saved. It doesn't mean people aren't seeing the truth. It just means deception is the primary tool that he's going to use to convince people that he is the solution. He's the savior of the world. He, so if you have this idea that the Antichrist is going to come on the scene, guns are blazing, carrying a sword, just wiping out people, that's not going to happen. He's going to get people on board with his charisma, with his plans, with his ability to negotiate, with his diplomacy, until he has them on board. And so how does he get the influence? Number one, through deception. But number two, through diplomacy and the promise of peace. We read in Daniel 9 a moment ago that he will confirm the covenant for a week, for seven years. Now, the original covenant that God made with Abraham had to do with the land, right? He would call Abraham. He's going to give them a piece of ground. Israel gave them the boundaries of the land. And by the way, they don't, they don't occupy all that land, but they still occupy a large degree of that land. And so he's, he's going to confirm this covenant. Uh, Daniel 11 we didn't look at that tonight, but we looked at that in another lesson we had some weeks ago. It says that he will divide the land for gain. Divide the land for gain, which seems to me to indicate that there will be a peace agreement with Israel and the, and the Arab nations 
about that land. Very, very likely the land where the temple, the third temple, will be built. He's a peacemaker. And so he's a diplomat, he's a deceiver, and um, he's going to be this world leader, this unifier. Uh, and, and there in Revelation chapter 6, uh, when it says that he came on, he's, he, John saw him in verse 2, and a, he saw this white horse, and he that sat on him, on the horse, had a bow and a crown. And some have said and speculated, it may very well be true, that the fact that he had a bow but no arrows would mean he gives this sign of being an authority, but he doesn't get his power from his, from his weapons. He gets his power through his negotiations, through his diplomacy, rather than through warfare. And we saw this in Second Thessalonians the other night, that Paul wrote and said very clearly to the church at Thessalonica, that we're not into the, the day of the Lord or the day of Christ until there be this great apostasy and the man of sin is revealed. And here in Revelation 6, we have the man of sin being revealed. So that's, that represents the first part of the tribulation period. And it is, I mean... No one knows, I don't think anybody knows, people may think they know who the Antichrist is. But it's, it's very possible that he's alive today. Because, you know, what, what, we're, what we're seeing here, this tribulation period, will take place when we go to heaven. After the rapture of the saints. So the rapture is imminent, it could happen any day, Right? It could happen today, that Jesus could come today and take us out of here. Every, every true child of God, every blood-washed, born-again child of God would be taken to heaven instantly. And immediately what we're reading about here would, begin, would, would begin to happen. And when it begins to happen, then there, this leader is going to, take on prominence. So what I'm saying is he could be very well be alive today, right? Maybe serving in our, no, government. <laughs> no, I don't think that because I think he's going to come from over there, right? But the point is this, this we, we hear these, sometimes we look at these things and we act like it's really not that important. And I said this the other night, and I don't mean this in any disrespect for God or his word. But really, to me, what happens after we're gone is not important right now in our life. Is how we can walk with God and have the grace of God in our life and have victory in our life. That's, that ought to be the first and foremost thought. And I think it's a dangerous thing, honestly, and I, I think I've known people who've done this, who dive so much into this matter of eschatology or prophecy that they're all, they just become obsessed with it. And I don't know anybody in our church that's that way, but it can happen. I'm not, so I'm not saying it's not important. It is important. I think, it, I think it's exciting really to think about the fact that we may be on the threshold, the very verge of what we're reading about here in the Bible. Amen? And so I'm glad 
that we're on the winning side. You know, there have always been antichrists, right? There always have been antichrists. John, the beloved, wrote in his epistles, we know that there are many antichrists. But those antichrists are not this antichrist. This antichrist will be a world dictator, a world tyrant. And he will control the people of the entire world. And all the world will worship him because they're deceived. And I think I said this Sunday night. You could say, well, I'm going to. I'm going to just take my chances and I'm not going to get right with God. I'm not going to turn my life over to the Lord. I'll take my chances, go through the tribulation. I'll, I'll reject the mark of the beast and I'll still get to go to heaven. The Bible says that you'll, there'll be a strong delusion sent and you'll believe a lie. All these people are going to be deluded. They're going to believe a lie. You know who it is that gives us the grace to understand who Jesus is and how sinful we are and how much we need him? We don't figure that out on our own. God shows us that. You know, when Jesus said to the disciples, whom do men say that I the Son of Man am? And Simon said, thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. You're, you're, the, you're the Savior. You're the Christ. And if you know that tonight, you know something. If you know that Jesus is really the Savior. And Jesus said to him, Blessed art thou, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood hath not revealed this unto thee, but my Father which is in heaven. The reason you know it is because God showed it to you. And I say all that to say, if you know the truth, you know it because God showed it to you. Not because you figured it out. It's because God opened your eyes and let you see. And if you don't respond to that truth, if you don't respond to that truth, then I'm talking about, and you reject Jesus Christ, and he comes back for us, you're gonna, you'll be sent a, a strong delusion, and you'll believe a lie because of the great deception. So if you're not saved tonight, you ought to get saved. Right? Absolutely. And those of us who are saved have this to look forward to. I was thinking about this today. When John saw, first of all, John, it says in verse 1 here, saw the lamb take that first seal off. He saw the lamb, Jesus, take that first seal off. And then this angel said, come and see. And he went and saw this entity riding on this white horse. Well, you know what? When this, God showed this stuff to John in a miraculous way, but we're going to be up there with him one of these days. I think we're going to see that too. I think just like this four and 20 elders, they saw, we're going to see that. We're going to see, we're going to see Jesus take that seal off. And we'll see things differently. I was reading the other day in Revelation where those people who suffered greatly for Jesus' sake, martyrs, they were, they were basically saying, when, how long are you going to wait to give these people what they've got coming? We're going to be up there and we're going to see it. 
And right now, in our minds, we'd think, man, I'd hate to see all these people be judged. But up there, we're going to understand differently. And we're going to know that God judges righteously. And we're going to see this happen, played out right before. Is it going to be an amazing thing? Amen. I want to be on the front seat watching it. Right? We're going to take a couple more lessons and... Couple doesn't mean two necessarily, maybe a few more lessons, and talk about a few other things regarding the end times, like the 144,000 and the mark of the beast, some of those things. We won't take a lesson on all those, but several lessons, because I felt like we didn't, we didn't treat it justice last year when we were wrapping this up, so we're going to spend a, more, a little more time on it. Let's pray together, all right? Our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed. Please listen carefully tonight to what I'm saying. If you're here tonight and you don't know Christ as your Savior, you don't know that you've been born again, this lesson tonight was primarily for Christians to understand what the future holds. But if you're not saved, what you need to focus in on is the need for you to be born again. And maybe tonight God's spoken to your heart and um, you ought to come and let somebody talk with you, spend time with you and help you. Our Father, as we pray tonight, we thank you for your word and we thank you that you've given us your word. And if you said it one time, if you gave us one bit of information, one bit of understanding about things in the future, but you gave us various witnesses in the Bible from different places who in harmony speak to us and show us what the future holds. And Father, I'm just glad tonight that your word teaches us clearly, plainly, that for those of us who know you, that what's about to take place that we read about is not our destiny, that we'll be with you in heaven. We're grateful. It's not because we deserve it. It's because you showed us your grace, and we're thankful for it. 